0: and welcome back to Undoing Geography. In today's episode, I speak with a dear friend of mine, Celie. We went to Manchester together and she's a fellow human geographer. We look at creative geographies, which was a module at Manchester and how we met. I explore issues around further study and in particular, Celie's work with her dissertation supervisor looking at disaster management the construction of knowledge, and the Welsh identity. I hope you enjoy. So, um, I guess for people who don't know, we went to Manchester together. We're both human geographers, um, and we met in second year when we were doing Creative Geography course which I'll come back to Um, but I guess to start with what does geography mean to you?
1: Yeah so I think geography was always something that I was like good at in school Um, and so I kind of uh, was like oh you know maybe I'll do that in uni Um, and then when I went to uni it like meant a completely different thing to me to what I thought it was in school, um, just because we were able to specialize in like human geography stuff, so I think it's, I think it's like, it kind of is like a way of learning and a way of like looking at the world, um, which like I feel very privileged to have like had the experience of learning to like think that way, um, and it's definitely changed my perspective on a lot of things, um, but yeah, I think it's 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 just really really broad and I think people don't um, realize what it can actually like encompass um, but
0: yeah that your course I think that you applied to was uh something to do with international development wasn't it Or, or, or an integrated master's with international development yeah, it. Yeah. so because that was an option at Manchester and I when I was learning geography I think one of the um biggest I guess for me was at the time at A-level we looked a lot on uh, non-governmental organisations and things like Oxfam and I think that's when I first got into the idea of international development and then I think that that's definitely a big pull for a lot of geographers but then when you go it turned out to be something a bit different so maybe you yeah
1: I think um I think you're right like you definitely learnt a lot about that kind of thing in school so I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds, like, really interesting. And so it was basically, like, you'd do three years of your undergrad and then you'd do, like, a a year of the integrated master's in international development. Um, And I think it was not more... It wasn't that it, like, turned out to be... It wasn't that the integrated master's turned out to be different. It was that my interest massively changed throughout the three years of my undergrad. And I realised that, actually, like, I'm not as interested in that side of it as I thought I was. Like, I was doing the modules, like, creative geographies. I was a lot more interested in, like, kind of, like, ideas around social construction, like, health and disease, like, all that sort of thing, instead of, um, like, yeah, NGOs and international development. And still, you know, found that interesting. But I think also the way it was being taught within geography was um, probably yeah I just I found other things more interesting at that point so um yeah I decided to come off that um and just did the three years which I think like yeah I'm, I'm glad that I did that I did that
0: one of the things that probably stuck with us was um when we got to do the creative geographies module which was looking at um the idea of bringing sort of geography and the arts together so it was looking at i guess part of the cultural term um and looking at how post-industrialized cities had um implemented urban regeneration programs with uh cultural-led development so looking at the bilbao effect and waterfront developments and i guess being in manchester that was probably quite an important um aspects of not only the discipline but that probably shaped our understanding quite a bit
1: understanding quite a bit yeah definitely definitely yeah and i think that was the first kind of snapshot maybe that we would both had at at like wow this is actually you know we just never considered this to have been drug-free before or like that you could you know look and study these things um that you just talked about um so yeah and I do think yeah Manchester is quite a a hub for that kind of um like you could actually kind of visually see a lot of the stuff that we were learning about um in terms of like public art um and also like I was always really interested in how that worked with like communities that had lived in areas for a long time and like that um that side of it and how I don't know it kind of opened up a conversation maybe between quite a lot of stakeholders that maybe wouldn't have discussed things before or like also how that you know worked didn't work as well um and how it created more tensions
0: so for your dissertation you looked at um was it the development around what was the new development area at the time in the city that you were looking at
1: yeah i i wrote about um like placemaking in manchester um and linking that to uh public art so it was kind of um, placemaking in terms of like how people feel about the place not necessarily that they even live in but just like a space that they're within how they feel about that um, and then how that mean, like how people then come to actually understand what that area means so I looked at that in Manchester um, and explored kind of like the impact that that feeling like that placemaking had on culture led regeneration there and I looked at like three sites so um, I looked at Northern Quarter which was um, an area in Manchester in the city centre which is very um, it was already quite like established as an area and people thought that it was quite a cool like trendy place Um, and there's like lots of like bars and um, like kind of like vintage shops like all that sort of stuff there. Um, and people do live there as well um, it's not just like a place where people visit and leave so I looked at there I looked at Ancoats, which is right next to the northern quarter but it's a lot more um, residential and a lot more at the time when I was doing it which was when was that <laughs> like three years ago it was still quite up and coming and um, there was a lot of like building work going on there a lot and a lot of development so I was like okay that's good um, and then I compared those two sites to a another area which was kind of like on the other side of the city centre next to this area called Spinningfields which was really really like fancy quite corporate um, and it was basically this new um, development that was being built from scratch called St John's and they were that was really kind of like um, you know there was a lot a lot of money being put into that um, so it's quite interesting to see how that was being built in comparison to places that had like developed over quite a long time um, so yeah, I basically was kind of like out on the street, um, talking to people through like informal interviews, and then I also did more kind of structured interviews with, um, like council members, people who were involved, um, with the St. John's development, um, and they were kind of longer and kind of compiled that all together, um, and so I kind of, the end, I guess, like, main kind of like concluding point from that was that um, I was kind of suggesting new placemaking approaches for Manchester because a lot of what people were talking about um, made it seem like what was happening was quite kind of like isolating and splitting up the city quite um, distinctly which was kind of like sad but also um, there were definitely like snippets of like good things happening as well, um, so it wasn't all like, <laughs> it wasn't all like really really critical. But yeah, it was it was interesting. I really liked like talking to people on the street about it because um, you really got like a very good feel for it that
0: way. So how do you make a place? Like, what were the, um, you know, the three sites doing to make a place? Because I think the idea of space and place obviously run through geography but you're only introduced to it sort of at university. Um, yeah. And then again in sort of different ways in specialist courses, I guess.
1: Um, yeah, I agree. I think it, it was like one of the kind of like big introductory uh, like lectures that we had, wasn't it? Like space and place. Um, and so I do think it's kind of, it's like different for, I guess, like any kind of main subject that you're looking at. But um It was, I was kind of looking at placemaking in terms of creativity and how that kind of like notion of creativeness was harnessed in a kind of like bounded area, and the ways that that then made people connect to that space and form their own perceptions of like what they felt connected to there, and the kind of the way that public art could either enhance that or actually like make it worse and make people feel more isolated from that place and like didn't work as a placemaking kind of like mechanism.
0: It's like wayfinding as well like I know in the northern quarter one of the sort of I guess distinctive things about Manchester is perhaps more so than other cities there is an actual civic pride and the council utilised that so it would be very, very common when you're in Manchester to walk past a lamppost or a bin or even a paving stone and the worker bee will be on it, right? Like, they like to reinforce um, that sort of civic pride.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, and, like, I haven't... Because I haven't actually been in Manchester for about a year now like it'd be quite interesting to go back and actually you know see how different these spaces are again from you know just that kind of like year that I've had away um especially because St John's was like a new place that was being built there wasn't anything there like it was it was quite a historical site like it was very it was where Granada Studios was um which was a big thing for Manchester big TV studios so they were looking at drawing all of that in um, but it'd be interesting to see how that's actually happened. And it was obviously our sort of, you know, marketed at quite affluent people who would be doing, you know, kind of city living for a few years, like young professionals, I guess. Um, and yeah, like whether a lot of what came out was that um, now in Manchester, in all the three sites, so that the community was quite sort of, I guess, like transient, like it was, con- mm. you know, consistently changing and moving instead of before you know a long time ago when there were mills there and stuff there would be communities living there for like a long long time and how that's all you know changed as well but i guess that's a different
0: different now so much in geography and i guess that's one of the things that i take from the course or the you know the subject in general um this idea of you know it's people that make places and looking at community development, I guess, like, do you feel like you're a part of a community right now?
1: I don't know. I guess not in the sense of, like, you know, where I am right now. I'm literally living in the middle of nowhere um, in (laughs) North Wales. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like there's uh, there's, even though everyone's, like, more split up, I think you kind of make stronger connections um maybe when like you're more isolated because you kind of need that connection like we're now talking over zoom and like that's really really nice um and I think I've kind of you know kept so I ended up doing a I had like a year after finishing my um undergrad and then I went to do um a master's in social anthropology which like I really really loved and again I still feel kind of like connected to that community of kind of thinkers and like the university in that sense I'm still doing a bit of uh reading and stuff for um yeah. the department uh which is really nice to still have that like connection because uh,
0: hey, really? This... really so yeah. what do, so what does that involve
1: um I'm just uh doing a bit of so my dissertation advisor is um all the people in that department as they were in the geography department as well are all actively like doing their own research as well as um you know teaching and stuff so um I was just like oh I feel like I'm missing you know learning and thinking in that way and being in that world um so yeah I just got back in touch with um with them and um I'm just kind of like helping do some reading for some papers at my dissertation advisor um is writing and doing some like preliminary research for that which is really interesting it's all about disaster education which is feels quite like fitting at the moment um yeah so um that's nice so i've always you know thought a little bit about doing a phd as well so that's quite good mm. an insight into like that kind of way of way. Of research.
0: Yeah. what is um disaster education i guess for People who might not know, but um,
1: it's just basically how people um learn how to prepare for disasters and how that is basically like how that's grown um in our everyday lives from kind of like nuclear war threats to today and the idea of like you know war on terror like all that kind of all that kind of thing and it's how yeah how people learn to prepare for that um through policies that influence that in in schools and through to how kind of disaster preparedness is portrayed in like film and literature and how that then kind of informs people's sense of personhood without even thinking and the um, research that my um dissertation advisor is looking at is linking that to kind of like households and gender inequalities and how that's disaster education is split up
0: along those lines um oh wow I mean, that is geography right there, right? Like yeah, disaster preparedness. Of course, I loved learning about, um, you know, hazards. I remember being like, well, for uh, A level geography, especially, but also at GCSE, I guess, you know, hazards and preparedness. And um, I can't remember where it was exactly, but we went to a museum once. And I don't know now, looking back, this might be probably a bit insensitive but they used to have these like earthquake simulators and because japan has so many like earthquakes it was like a japanese themed earthquake room yeah so it's like an earthquake simulator but we were in a japanese supermarket
1: so this is one thing that she's she's been looking at um actually in japan is like how um they've kind of formed a more of like a playful way of learning how to prepare for disasters so that kind of thing with school children um and how that kind of like feeds like children are kind of seen as like the way that the rest of society learns how to prep for these things because they have these like kind of acted out games and things and then they go and feed that back to their parents and they're seen as kind of like the the hub of you know protecting the family unit sort of thing.
0: So wow that is um, amazing I guess like that is one of the things like about um uh you know research and I guess sort of the construction of knowledge I feel like that's probably something we're both really interested in you know who gets to construct knowledge
1: exactly and that's when when I was choosing to do social anthropology there was like a really nice bridge between what I'd been looking at in human geography and social anthropology like it was and it was really nice to bring that perspective into seminars and stuff because um, I definitely, you know, geography has formed the way that I, I think about things. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was interesting mix. Yeah. And I, I liked how that was always brought into, well, definitely that was, like, something that was quite heavily discussed in the Creative Geographies module, but it was brought into most modules that we did, which, you know, like, how do we know what we know and why do we you know where's that come from and you know how do you know that you know like there's so many things that influence that and so many things that happen like so many kind of like insidious processes that are involved in the construction of knowledge that you know when you start to break it down you realize how yeah how kind of influenced
0: i guess um maybe as well um we could talk about the differences um in funding because obviously you are a welsh citizen um and i feel like now probably more so that's probably going to be quite important um and yeah i guess your experience of uh education is slightly different to mine and yeah the level of support yeah so i i always
1: felt you know so lucky um So, obviously, Wales has a Labour government, so there's more support there for um, higher education. Well, you know, everything. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I always felt, you know, really, really lucky that I paid. Um, So I was subsidised each year. Um, So for the three years, I paid the total of what you paid in one year, Um, which was, you know, obviously so good and makes them huge difference obviously I don't think education is ever anything should you know anyone should ever have to pay for but um I was still really appreciative that you know it made it a lot more feasible for me but I noticed that most when I went to do when I was you know considering oh can I do a master's like I really really want to do this and you know I find this subject so interesting and you know it would be amazing if I could do it but I was looking at you know could I actually afford it um, and that's where it made the biggest difference because I got um, a much bigger loan than anyone else who was on my course who was you know obviously English and um, you know I was like oh, how are you like managing to do this you know full-time like most most of the my other course mates are doing it part-time and with a job Um, and I was like oh yeah because I'm Welsh so I get you know a much much bigger loan than you and if that hadn't have been the case then I don't think I could have done the masters so you know it's makes a huge
0: difference yeah what what shapes a Welsh identity for you
1: um I think it's it's, you know so many things you can go back to kind of placemaking um and I definitely you know I've loved growing up in Wales and stuff but I felt my Welsh identity much the strongest it's ever been when I first moved to Manchester (laughs) to uh, go to uni and I don't, I don't know like why, why that kind of happened. Like living in England made that, made me feel that a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of being like, I guess, I don't know if pr- like proud is the wrong word, but you know, loving the Welsh kind of like countryside. And I think a lot of the time people would defend like when you're talking about identity people kind of define it in opposition with to try and put it in kind of like binaries but I don't really think that that's the case with this like it's more of a kind of um a feeling of like yeah I guess just where I've grown up and obviously the Welsh language is in where I live in North Wales it's that's like a, a huge thing that people associate with Welsh national identity um It's like a massive, you know, it's a huge kind of like, which I think it's a lovely thing for somewhere to, you know, for Wales to have its own language and, like, it's a big cultural thing and it's great, but, um, yeah, that's definitely more the case in North Wales than it is in South Wales. Um, And I remember learning, in terms of placemaking, it was actually in the Creative Geographies module, I think, Um, and it was all about road signs in Wales and there was a huge... um, push in North Wales but it used to be that the English would be above the Welsh on road signs and there was big big process people would like pull the signs down um, which is you know fair enough but in Wales Welsh is the language um, and yeah it ended up being they managed to uh, switch it so now the Welsh comes first and, the, and people are always shocked by that like friends who have come from England they're like oh wow you yeah. yeah. Welsh, and they don't expect it and you hear it like a lot in north wales which is really nice so i've been relearning um my welsh my sister so uh
0: you know growing up was it spoken at home no
1: they speak welsh but it wasn't um it wasn't like my first language it wasn't we didn't speak it at home all the time but a lot of people who live around here in north wales it is their first language um yeah. which i do yeah it's a nice it's a, it's a really yeah. nice thing to have and i think it's you know um kind of it's been something that's been managed to you know survive through kind of years of English domination of Wales so it's it's a nice thing to to have.
0: I think identity like that is so interesting because I'm I feel like um yeah like you say it's in opposition and for me I feel very much European but um you know immediately that's like well uh you know do you live there can you speak another language can you all of those things and I'm like Sometimes it is just a feeling. What book recommendation do you suggest for our listeners to be better geographers? Oh
1: my gosh, to be better geographers. Um, I would say Foucault. And Mm. I think I would go for... uh, Just because when I first started reading a lot of his stuff, I was like, wow, oh my gosh, this is, you know, totally different, um, like... This has, you know, changed the way I think about a lot of things. Um, so I, th- I think I'd go for the history of sexuality, and I think the volume one. I think.